Hey everyone, welcome to Locked on Lakers for Wednesday. Brian Kamenetsky, Andy Kamenetsky. The Lakers want to lighten LeBron James's load this season, but is that easier said than done? That's next. You are Locked on Lakers. Your daily Los Angeles Lakers podcast. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network. Your team every day. Thanks to everybody for making Locked On Lakers your first listen of every day, Monday through Friday, no matter how or where you get your podcast. It's always going to be free. It's never going to be behind a paywall. And Locked On Lakers on YouTube is where you can go to see the show, hang out with a bunch of Lakers fans, 20,000 subscribers strong, 20,000 plus, I might say. Um, I want to let you know that today's episode is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook, the official sportsbook of Locked On. Make every moment more. Right now, new customers can bet $5 to get 200 in bonus bets guaranteed. Visit FanDuel.com slash Locked On to get started. Um, yeah, Andy, that that YouTube channel, uh, they are they're talking a little bit about what we were talking about um, for Tuesday's show, which was Austin Reeves and the World Cup and... Um, you know, whether or not he could be included in a trade for Giannis in, in two years and uh, and all that stuff. But one of the, the things that we were getting into a little bit was whether or not Reeves is somebody who, from a usage standpoint, from a minute standpoint, could really genuinely take some burden off of LeBron. We've both said that it would not shock us if Reeves led the team in minutes. I wouldn't bet the house on it. But it wouldn't shock me. I'll say this much. If I were to bet the house on any player, because I, I simply had to bet my house for some dystopian reason. Well, plus I, we don't rent. It's not even I mean, your house. I would bet on Austin Reeves. If I had to bet on somebody, that's who I'd bet on. The question becomes, like, there's, there's the question of whether or not Reeves is that guy. Um you know, whether he will, you know, be be on the floor to that level, whether he can. T- but the other question that kind of be, that gets there is like, can anybody really lighten the burden while LeBron is on the floor? And in that respect, I know you dug up some numbers. Well, th- this actually got sparked from a question that was left for us by Dadeev1718. I think Austin will be really good this year once he comes back down to earth a bit. You know LeBron does not allow anyone to eat more than he eats, so it'll be interesting to see some tug-of-war with the ball. And the part of that that I found interesting wasn't the idea of the tug-of-war or you know LeBron, I guess, it being implied that he wouldn't want to be outshined by anybody else. You know, frankly, we need more evidence of other guys on this team being able to consistently outshine LeBron anyway that's kind of cart ahead of the horse. But what I did find interesting is just the idea of great players as they age, easing that load off them, but the habits that need to change for them. And like LeBron, every single year, especially since Anthony Davis arrived, there's been this talk about easing that load off him offensively, and it never happens. Like injuries have played a role to some degree, But there's also habits like LeBron is used to having the ball in his hands and rightly thinks it should be there a lot. And like to some degree, that is ego. But 
you know, it's also just this is how he's been his entire career. Like his load may get lightened defensively, but there is no evidence. Well, of LeBron going... has already lightened his load. Defensively. Right. He's yeah, that's a decision. care of that. That's a decision he made unilaterally. <laughs> um, similarly to how we saw like even pre-Achilles, like the last year or so with Kobe, he started unilaterally making that decision. But like, for example, LeBron's usage rate last season, even after the All-Star break and after the trade deadline, it went from 33.5 by basketball references metrics pre-deadline, I mean, pre-All-Star uh, break to 33.4. Like it was exactly the same. And LeBron's scoring average with the Lakers, highest of his career, albeit by a slim margin, but it's also gone incrementally up over the years, not down. And, you know, maybe with a roster this deep, and I think this is the deepest roster he's had since being a Laker, some of this changes, but it might also be an assumption that to think that anything is going to change. I, two things about that. The first one is I don't, it's not just the star that has to adjust to that idea of lowering the usage of giving a, it's also the other players mm -hmm. um you know anybody who has ever played with lebron and we saw this with kobe we saw this with it's like you know you're going to defer to lebron because lebron is better at this than you are lebron is better at orchestrating the offense lebron is better at scoring than you are lebron is better at passing than you are lebron's better than you are and so the natural thing to do, especially when you have someone like LeBron, who is in, it's not like if you give him the ball, it's never going to come back. It's not going to move. It's, you know, you're just, you know, you're, you're throwing it to ISO Joe or whatever it might be. Um, you know, there, there is a, a tremendous team benefit to, to letting LeBron do LeBron things. So I, I think one of the places where, and, I apologized at the end of yesterday's episode for being enthusiastic about Austin Reeves. It's August. We're rolling into September. The World Cup's happening. Um, what I'm about to say is going to make that sound um, like I was uh, just like shortchanging Reeves. It's helpful to have some, when you're looking for players to take the burden off of somebody like LeBron, who at his core is a multifaceted player with great team instincts. It helps to have somebody else on the floor who profiles in a similar way. I'm not saying Austin Reeves is as good as LeBron, but he does some of the same things ethos-wise. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like, you understand what I'm getting at here? Not that he's better, just that he, like, he will also make the right pass. And if you give, you know, you let Reeves orchestrate you can increase his usage without gumming up and, and sacrificing the talents of other people on the floor. So if you're going to find a player who can help legitimately lighten the burden on LeBron, Reeves profiles that way better than I would say a classic point guard, you know, which is you know, often how teams try to take the burden off of star players. I mean, that does make sense, but at the same time, you know, uh, this reminded me a bit of the 2000, I believe it was the 2011-12 season when the Lakers brought in Ramon Sessions to orchestrate pick and roll. And this was something that 
I know Laker fans had wanted to see. I know you and I covering the team, we thought that pick and roll element could be really useful. I know Kobe talked about wanting to have more options with the pick and roll. You want to play off ball, and, Andy. Right. And he, he he did. He talked really excitedly about, you know, Ramon being able to run these sets and he can work a little bit more off ball. And it took all of about a week and a half before the ball was back in Kobe's hands, the overwhelming majority of time in possessions. And Ramon Sessions was stuck in a corner where he was frankly useless. And, you know, to be clear, Austin Reeves is a better player than Ramon Sessions. I, I certainly, I think he's a, a more well rounded player than Ramon said. He's a better, he's a better player than Ramon. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> is a really no nice caveats or 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 maybe's yeah. or hedging. He's better no. than Ramon said. No, Ramon was a really nice guy. We both really liked him covering him, but Austin's better than he yeah. is. And and LeBron is further along in his career to where it really might necessitate more. Like seriously, LeBron, you gotta fight some instincts and let other guys step up more. Then, you know, Kobe was, this was still pre-Achilles. Kobe was six years, seven years younger than LeBron is right now. But again, this would, there have been many times over the years where different players were brought in to ease that load off Kobe. And inevitably, that's not the way it went. And that's not a dig at Kobe. It's not a dig at all these other superstar players. It's the established pecking orders and established you know images of players and what you expect from them at a superstar level they can be very difficult to shift let's let's stay on this because I, I I if it's not how how do they do that because it is it's going to be really important to manage LeBron through the course of the season um and so how exactly do the Lakers accomplish that so that, that's where we'll go next Locked on Lakers is brought to you by FanDuel, and you can get ready for the NFL season with incredible offers from FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. The season is just around the corner, cannot wait. And right now, new customers can bet five bucks and get $200 in bonus bets guaranteed. You can use the bonus bets on spreads, player props, over-unders, so many other options. And all customers who bet $5 will get 100 off the NFL Sunday ticket. From YouTube and YouTube TV, a hundred bucks off just by betting five dollars with FanDuel, and this is the best time to use FanDuel. It's a really easy app, fun to use, user friendly, all that stuff. So visit FanDuel.com/slash locked on again, locked on, and kick off the NFL season with an offer you don't want to miss. FanDuel, the official partner of the NFL. Yeah, so like we were talking about, like there are a lot of ingredients, Andy, that go into this idea of a superstar stepping back. Because like, oftentimes the context of that is the superstar needs to step back because the superstar isn't as good as they used to be. And so it's letting go of seeding control because you, you aren't effective in the same way as you once were. The Russell not- Westbrook conundrum. That's not really where the Lakers are with LeBron. And LeBron, I mean, is he as effective as he was at his peak? No. But he's still an elite level player. And so you're not taking the ball out of his hands because... For that matter, it's the same, by the way, proposition with Kobe, with what we were Correct. talking about before, too. Correct. Um, well, you, know, when we're, you know, we're, again, sort of pre-Achilles, pre-injuries yeah. you know, yes. and stuff like that, for yes. sure. Um, 
And so if it's not going to be, if you can't kind of do it by design, um, you know, because the ball is just going to naturally find LeBron um, because he's LeBron, how, what is the best way for the Lakers to do this, to really manage James over the course of, of 82 games minus however many he misses? Uh, reduces minutes. That's actually what I'm looking for, hopefully, with AD as well. Like the the idea, the idea of load managing them through nights off, you know, back to backs, whatever. I mean, certain times that could be a necessity, certain times not. But I would really like to see the goal be having them play three to five minutes fewer per game this season than they did last year. And hopefully the depth and talent of this team allowing them to do that. It would really help, by the way, if they won more games at the top of the season yeah. and actually controlled a lot of games because that could just provide some opportunities where LeBron and AD spend a lot of the fourth quarter icing their knees. But that's the way I would like to see this handled. You know, We talked uh, last week about AD and the idea of him wanting to win Defensive Player of the Year and you know, will he play enough games to qualify. If that's something AD really cares about, then again, the minutes to me feels like the place that you look to do it as opposed to trying to earmark and really manipulate the schedule and how many games that he plays. That would be the way I would look to do it is try to see if you can have LeBron playing 32 minutes a night, 31 minutes a night. Like That would make a big difference over the course of an entire season. It's And I, still I let him play his game. I agree with you. It's it's a matter of finding three or four or five minutes. And I think the Lakers start. I think six of their first nine games are on the road. Like there's, there are some challenges um, with the schedule the way it's set up. But you know, it's it, they're not. They don't need to be a one seed. They don't need to be a two seed. Like their goal is to not be like a five seed. Yeah, you know, I'm sorry, like a seven seed. I mean, they want to stay out of the play. It is is really what we're talking about here. And so, you know. If they can, if they can do that, and you know, get off to a decent start where you're four or five, six games over 500 after 20 games or whatever, but you're 14 and six, you're, you know, you're you're 15 and, and eight, you know, those kinds of of records give the Lakers space to sit LeBron if he needs to, to sit Anthony Davis if he needs, to, but it really gives them space to actually try to keep their minutes at 31, 32, 33 versus 35, 36, 37, 38. It gives them a chance to try to make those minutes lower leverage because not all minutes are created equal for every player. You know, there are ways and times of the game where, you know, the minutes would be harder on LeBron than they would be like fourth quarter minutes, late fourth quarter minutes where teams aren't able to run as much, where it gets more physical, where, you know, the, the contact is greater. Like you say, can you close out games, you know, one, you know, once or twice a week, you know, or you know, every eight, sixth or seventh game have a, a blowout where you're sitting guys down? Like those minutes are going to be hugely important because I agree with you. It's going to be really hard to change how you play with LeBron on the floor, even with somebody like Reeves, because ultimately he's still LeBron. And from a basketball perspective, it doesn't make sense. To somehow de you know you know de-emphasize de him offensively, it just doesn't make sense from a basketball standpoint. No, 
I mean, obviously LeBron can play off ball because LeBron can do anything you want offensively. And, you know, you can find opportunities for him to get the ball on the catch, stuff like that, create easier finishing opportunities. But like the more you start thinking about taking the ball out of his hands, the more you start thinking about him, you know, spotting up or things. Like, I mean, that's not what LeBron uh-huh. does. It's not what you want him to be doing. But I, I do feel like that's the way you should be looking to to try to to try to ease this burden off and the, the, just the physical toll of it all. Try to just have him play fewer minutes. And to a point you made before about not all minutes being created equally, the more minutes you're playing, I would think that means by definition, the more high leverage minutes you're playing because it means you are on the court. It opens up. It certainly opens up the opportunity for it. I feel like if you can play 32-33 versus 36-37, that's probably the difference in a lot of tight fourth quarter games down the stretch where, as you said, it often gets more physical Less is getting called, things like that. So I feel like, by definition, if he can get his minutes down, you're going to reduce at least some of the higher lever, higher leverage, most taxing minutes. You mentioned that you think this is maybe the the best depth the Lakers have had in the LeBron era. Do you, do you think so more than the the 2020 team? Yeah, because I think they have more skill players, and I, I think they have more guys who offensively, if nothing else, although I, I think they have some upside compared to last year defensively too, but they have more guys who you can put the ball in their hands and they can either create for others or create their own shot than they had in the 2019-2020 season. And I think that becomes especially important because LeBron's four years older than, than that team. Right. So, yeah, I, I think – I think in terms of pure talent, this is the most depth he's had. And it's it's certainly the most balance. I mean, I think that the balance of this roster, top to bottom, is better than than the balance. And I, and I think, you know, it's easy to forget. You know, they had some some pretty good players on that 2020 team. It's not like that, you know. It's... They did, but it was that team was more tailor-made for the idea of two stars and a bunch of role players. But that is easier to do when LeBron is four years younger. Like LeBron at this stage of his career just needs more help. Um, the other argument that I, I don't want to get into now, like you start when you start comparing these rosters, it does get into interesting things. Like that was one that was going around last week, like the Caruso versus Reeves thing, like, you know, trying to really compare it. So, I mean, talent to talent, it's a different kind of roster and all that stuff. But I do think the balance of this one. Well, it's look, it's better. what I'm talking about too, with the difference between 2020 versus 2024 is. You know, LeBron can't play small forward. Like the idea of like the two big lineup with LeBron at the three, like that can't be done. Right. And that in and of itself speaks to the differences that come with aging. Like that's just, that's not a realistic possibility for this team. So um, I did discover one more thing. The the Austin Reeves fandom has reached a level that I did not anticipate. Uh, I'll share that next. Uh, and... Um, was it Robert Ory talking about yes. Michael Cooper? Yep. So uh, this is one of the classic Lakers franchise fan debates uh, about how the Lakers handle um, retired jerseys. And the absolute symbol of this discussion is Michael Cooper, uh, who Robert Ory was talking about. We'll get to all of those things next.
Uh, Andy, one more sign that apparently uh, Austin Reeves has arrived. I didn't see this. Um, this is apparently an Austin Reeves mural that has gone up in L.A. Oh, wow. Uh, saw this via Twitter. Um, an Austin Reeves mural somewhere, I think somewhere in like South L.A. I'll see if I can find an exact location. But this apparently is a thing that exists on a wall in Los Angeles. The man has his own mural. So He, he is him. There you go. When you, once you Once you reach mural status... Um, you're doing something right. So it's like uh, the murals of us in the Philippines. Right. Um, I'm going to try to see if I can find, find out where that is. Um, Robert Ory is talking about uh, retiring Michael Cooper's jersey. Um, I know you and I have had this conversation before. I'm not entirely sure we agree, at the very least, on like the role of honor, like the way teams and, and halls of fame and all that stuff should honor role players. But starting with the, just the Lakers, you know, there are a lot of people who think Michael Cooper should be both in the Hall of Fame, first and foremost, but then at the very least ought to be retired by the Lakers. Well, I thought this was interesting the way Ori framed this, and this was on his podcast, the Big Shot Bob podcast. And he was talking about it also through the context of LeBron, because Jeannie Buss has already said that when LeBron retires, they will retire his jersey at the crypt. Quote, I base everything off Michael Cooper. You know, it's just so hard for me when you retire a guy's number and you don't retire Michael Cooper's number. And it's just, to me, I don't, nobody should go before him. You know, two-time defensive player of the year, helped him win championships. He always guarded the people that Magic couldn't. <laughs> Taking us back to an earlier podcast and that argument. <laughs> It's just so many things that, you know, and it just goes to show that people in the league and the NBA and across, they don't appreciate defense unless you're Ben Wallace or Dennis Rodman. And I just think that if you retire LeBron's jersey, you got to retire Michael Cooper's because he's just a Lakers legend to me. And, you know, it's an interesting way of framing it because what Ori is talking about in certain respects is beyond beyond what Michael Cooper specifically meant on the court and the ways he contributed. And Michael Cooper was a big part of Showtime. And Michael Cooper was a damn good player. He's also talking about the way you are loved by a fan base. And I think what Cooper is saying is to Laker fans, particularly the ones who have been fans for decades, Michael Cooper means as much to them, if not more, than LeBron which is an interesting way of framing all this because a lot of the retired jerseys and stuff you do, it's fan service. There's an element of fan service to it. I mean, one thing, like we when we did our episode, for example, on uh, Rings of Honor, mm -hmm. obviously the, um, you know, for any other franchise, Michael Cooper would be in a ring of honor. The only reason he's not in the Lakers ring of honor is the Lakers don't have a ring of honor because they only do retired jerseys and they have so many retired numbers that Giannis is going to have to change his number when he comes to LA. Um, I, I don't know. I, I personally like this, this, um, this dynamic the Lakers have this incredibly high bar to have your, your Jersey retired and all that kind of stuff. Um, but I do understand the other side of this argument and, and how it excludes players like Coop who are so much part of the fabric. Um, and while you can say like, yeah, they're, you know, he's on TV and the Lakers keep him involved in stuff and he's around all the time. And he's, you know, he does, 
there is still something about formalizing that kind of honor that the Cooper level players, the, you know, Ori's, the Derek Fisher's, the, you know, and, and, and down the line just cannot get with the Lakers. And it is different and it does cost them something, I think. Well, yeah, I mean, and it, look, it costs them recognition. It sometimes can cost them money and like economic opportunities and things like that. Yeah. You know, Mike, as much as Michael Cooper is a local legend and, you know, to anybody who ever followed the Lakers, there is extra cachet in terms of opportunities and things like that when you can add they retired my the Lakers right. Lakers retired right now I'm not talking because I don't think he's a Hall of Famer I, I think he is close but I think he is beneath that threshold of of being of being a, a Hall of Famer like, you know a lot of it to me is like that sort of gut reaction is blank a Hall of Famer you kind of that first instinct is usually the right one and for me he's like no close but no I mean I've seen if, the argument and I'm, I'm not going to you know, kill you for it, but if defense, if you factor in defense, you know, and he was a good three point shooter, at least a good three point yeah. shooter yeah. for, for his time, you know, before the, the shot was really emphasized <laughs> and he was a great threat in the open court, but the man made eight all defensive teams and was defensive player of the year. Um, one seat, uh, one season, 86, 87, oh. um, and you know a critical part of five championships. He's one of the. I guess it get, it gets to what Ori was saying. They're like, unless you are Ben Wallace or Dennis Rodman, you can be one of the best defenders of like, you know, the last thirty to forty years. Michael Cooper is one of the most recognized defenders of the last thirty to forty years, or forty years in basketball. And it's not going to get him likely sniffing the Hall of Fame like in any real way. Do you what think is, he was on that level though defensively with a Ben Wallace or a because a Rodman? Because I don't. Those guys were transcendent defenders, like and rebound and, and specifically good at you know. And obviously Cooper's not going to rebound in the same way. I don't like, know, you man. Know, Cooper locked dudes up. Well, I'm, in, not, in, I'm not trying to impugn the defense. No, I know you're not, but you asked the question. I, yeah. I mean. You know, so, to be honest, some of what will make you feel like, I think, what, consciously or unconsciously, that Coop might not be at the level of a Ben Wallace or Dennis Rodman, is you're like, well, those guys are in the Hall of Fame. Right. That's true. <laughs> and also, you know? feel like it is a bit unfair because those guys were big enough to be able to have the size to have that sort of transcendent statistical. Yeah. And look, I mean, I'm, you know, I was a massive, I was a massive Ben Wallace fan. Like, uh, you know, I, I thought he should have been in the hall of fame and I'm glad that he made it in. I think he was an incredible defensive player, an incredibly unique defensive player, but do I definitively think he was more impactful than Michael Cooper with the caveat of saying, I saw more of Ben Wallace's Correct. games in yeah. real time than Coop's. I'm not confident saying that he was. In all honesty, I'm not. I mean, you make eight defense, all defensive teams. You're and and playing in a league where you are going up against some really, really good oh, yeah. players. Pretty good. Again, I could be easily swayed here, in part because I don't care that much. <laughs> like about like I am not precious about the Hall of Fame. Like I, I think you need to have a a, a threshold. You need to have a bar somewhere, but that line is always very fuzzy because there's always going to be the 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 least qualified Hall of Famer. Someone's got to be the worst player 
in the Hall of Fame. Well, I guess, Not I guess everybody the- needs to be a first ballot caliber guy to be in the Hall of Fame. So, like, would Coop be in the bottom, you know, bottom fifth? Probably, but th- there is a bottom fifth. Like, you're allowed to be in there and still be in the Hall of Fame. Um, fun Michael Cooper stat, just to talk about how the game has changed. You mentioned, um, you know, good three-point shooter for his era. Um, in 19, well, let's look at this season. In 19, um, we'll do this one, 1985-86, when he shot a career-high 38.7% uh, percent from three-point range. How many three-pointers did he take per game? Probably 1.3. Uh, higher than that, two. One point nine. <laughs> two. Okay. Two. Um. That's yeah. pretty amazing. Game done changed. You know, uh, one uh-huh. last one last thing I wanted to mention too when it, it, when we made the comparisons to Rodman and Wallace, you know, who if you look at their resumes, their their defensive accolades. You know, both of them made All Star teams and, and Cooper didn't, and both right. made All NBA teams and Cooper didn't. But I think it was you tended to get more of that recognition as a big man. And traditionally big men win defensive player of the year way more than wing defenders. Correct. Like, I mean, far, far more. So it's, it's easier to see what they're doing. Right. And it, there's more tangible ways to recognize it. And I think in certain respects, like you have to be careful with how you play the accolades game. Um, the last thing I would note though, is, if, say, the door is open to Michael Cooper having his jersey retired, even if he's not in the Hall of Fame because you're you know, recognizing the exceptions that prove the rule, as Robert Ory is contending should be the case for Michael Cooper, that also opens the door for Robert Ory having his jersey retired. So, Hetty, play a big shot, Bob. It is. Uh, <laughs> but I, I think Michael Cooper... I see what you're doing the, there, Ory. Cooper might be the exception that proves the rule. Ory is not to me. Uh, again, oh. Ring of Honor. We can, we had that discussion, but Robert Ory is in a Ring of Honor. You can't right. But I'm saying, but like retiring the jersey, all that kind of stuff. I don't. I don't know. Okay, is there anybody? Okay, before we go, let's just say for the sake of the argument that Cooper would get his jersey retired because he really is, I think, the highest level guy that you would make this argument for. That's not in the Hall of Fame. I think. Yeah, Cooper, I would agree with that. Is there anybody else, whether Ori? Fisher, Byron Scott, that you Bob McAdoo, yeah. he's in the Hall of Fame. He just does not have a retired Laker jersey, right? And and by the time because because of his role with the Lakers, I mean, I, Michael Cooper was a far greater Laker yes. than Bob McAdoo sure. was, even if Bob sure. McAdoo was a better NBA player, right? Yeah, um, but is yeah. there a, it's like whether Fish, um, Ori, Byron Scott? No. I don't think Byron so. would probably Byron be would probably be behind. If I'm going in order, it would be Coop, then Byron. There's probably dudes from like the sixties and seventies I don't know about. Um, you know, Happy Hairston or something like that. But he was pretty good. He was, but like I'm I I didn't I never saw these people play. I, I right. can't. Um, you know, Zelmo Beatty. <laughs> like I, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, but of the dudes that I have at least some exposure to, I would go. Coop, Byron, Fish, Fisher, Fisher, Ori, Ori. I mean, you got to put Fish in front of Ori because Fish was there longer, was there longer, longtime starter, played more, more minutes, titles, 
it hit some pretty important shots himself. Mm-hmm. Oh, um, yeah. No, no. He, he had five titles with the Lakers. Um, yeah. Odom probably before Ori. Yeah. The Odom versus Ori is an interesting one for a ring of honor. I, I would put Lamar in front of him. All right. Well, leave comments on the YouTube uh, comment section about who you th- – if there was an exception that would prove the rule, if you open the door for a like Michael what order would you do Laker. It yeah. Yeah. What order would you do it in? Who would you do it for? Okay. Um, also, to somebody on the YouTube channel, we asked the question, is Mookie Betts the most popular athlete in Los Angeles? The response somebody left made it actually made a top 10 list for us that I actually think is interesting from a Lakers standpoint, um, which we will maybe get to later in the week. We are not going to have a show on Thursday um, because... A, it's the off season. We need some days off here, but more importantly, it's uh, it's our fantasy football draft on Wednesday, and we need the time to focus on things uh, that that aren't this podcast. <laughs> just, it's it's too important. I think most of you understand. Uh, Andy and I play in this league uh, against each other. It is very important to both of us that we beat um, the other brother. So, um, no show for Thursday. We'll be back on Friday. Uh, everyone have a good night.